Well, good morning, beloved sons and daughters of God. The last three weeks, we have examined uh, the Apostle Paul's incredible letter to the church in Rome. In my opinion, it is one of the magnus opus writings in the history of the world. It's Paul's doctoral dissertation about what God has done through the ministry of Jesus Christ and through what we can experience in life in the Spirit. Last week, Pastor Mark and Pastor Mark, they spoke about how we are not called to be rule followers or good Christians, but to surrender and become alive in Christ. Today I have the privilege to preach along with Pastor Matt the crescendo of this letter. Chapter 8. This message, unlike other weeks, is dedicated to just one chapter. It's an amazing chapter. It examines what takes place when we surrender our struggles and powerlessness over sin and death and give our life to God and experience the benefits of His Holy Spirit. And the Spirit begins to work and give life and restore. And I'm not just talking about ho-hum life. I'm talking about life. Life. Will you join me in prayer? Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ministry of that word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit that works in us. May we continually see that we are adopted by you and we experience the incredible mighty benefits of life in you now and through all eternity. Bless this time, bless the meditations of our hearts and our minds. This we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So Paul begins, he says, is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. And by sending his only son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order for the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is not set on the flesh is hostile, To God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit that dwells in you. 
This theme introduced at the beginning of this chapter is a theme woven throughout the chapter. Belonging to Christ Jesus. Those who are in Him, alive in Him, belong to Him. Those who receive Him are not condemned to death, but to life. When we say, I cannot experience victory over sin and its terrible outcomes and the horrific outcomes of that death and say, I need you, God. I need your power. I need your incredible dynamic ministry in me. This happens. And God says yes to our yes. And the ministry begins in us. You see, my friends, you belong to God when this yes comes. Adopted child of God. And today, we can begin by making that claim and having that claim become us. Hear this from John 1.12. It says, you and I, but as we received him, he gave them the power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You and I are beloved daughters and sons. Hear it, believe it, know it. You know, it's not easy, my friends, to hear that voice in this world. It's filled with other voices. This world is filled with things that shout that you're no good, you're a loser, you're lazy, you're fat, you're ugly, you're worthless, you're despicable, and nobody likes you (laughs) unless you demonstrate or perform something that's opposite or great. And let me tell you right now, those dark, crafty voices must be silenced And they can be silenced through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You see, life outside this primary claim of belovedness, sonship, daughtership, outside that claim produces false identity. Meaning we make the claim and live out of that reality of by what maybe we do. I'm a pastor or an engineer, architect, CPA, nurse or teacher... Or we might make that claim out of what others say about us. I'm single, I'm married, I'm beautiful, or I'm ugly, lazy, worthless, criminal, or goofball, and so on. And it's quite possible that we hold our identity by what we have or don't have. I'm wealthy, I'm poor. When we live in this false claim, it will produce a life of ups and downs, swinging to and fro, tossed about. Living out of the center of those realities can cause depression, turmoil, strife, frustration, heartache. Ultimately, these persistent negative voices and that false identity can produce horrific self-rejection, defeat, and death. Father Henry Nouwen writes in his book, Life of the Beloved, that communicates that belovedness. He says, over the years I've become to realize that the greatest trap in life is not success or popularity or power but self-rejection. Success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way they are part of a much larger temptation, and that is self-rejection. He says we must claim our belovedness. Child of God. I know in my own life it's so tempting to come under that scrutiny of self-talk, You know, Jonathan, there it goes again. Failure, loser, nobody. You deserve to just kind of stay there. Trust me, you're listening to a guy who had 62 detentions in the sixth grade. I'm serious. 
The nickname by the teachers was Trouble. In our culture, and you see in social media, constantly puts on a pedestal those who seem successful, popular, and have that outward beauty and wealth and athleticism and powerful. But what happens when these people fall in that struggle in the flesh? Oh, how quickly they're drugged through the mud. They are. And that accusing bony finger points, why aren't you the best? Be first, perform, and jockey for position, reputation, higher status, and so on. No wonder that emptiness comes and identity is lost. It's because the mind, as Paul writes, governed. He uses that word to the Romans and they understood it. Governed or ruled by the realm of the flesh or earthly ways or that attempt, that performance. The mind of the flesh, the mind of the world lived in the reality in that reality, it can cause horrific things, and I see it. I did my internship for the past several months in counseling, and as you do a diagnostic assessment, you hear damage done by sin, generational sin. You see addiction, depression, abuses, evil done to people. And it gets played out, and it spins out into a lot of mental and emotional disorder. And it's in that realm of self-rejection, in the realm of the flesh. And the casualties are enormous and catastrophic. Families are ripped to shreds, ministries left in ruins, gaunt, starved people wandering, roaming through the street, eating earthly mud, dirty pies, trying to experience life and peace in another way outside the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it produces a mind, as Paul says, that is hostile to God. Life lived in the mental status of, is this all there is? Come on. Come on. Why did you do this? There can't be no, any God. And that life in the flesh, rejecting God instead of embracing the life of the Spirit and embracing the rhythms of God that desires to restore and resuscitate and give life. The breath the Holy Spirit. It's God's grace is always working and seeking and calling, come to me, come to me. You are a burden. I'll give you rest. Learn my rhythms. Learn from me. I will accept you. I will minister to you. I will show you strength and fullness of life. There's a quote from theologian Paul Tillich as he writes, grace strikes us when we are in great pain and restlessness. It strikes us when we walk through the dark valley of a meaningless and empty life. It strikes us when year after year the long for perfection does not appear, when those old compulsions reign within us as they had for decades, when all despair destroys all joy and courage. Sometimes in that moment, a wave of light breaks into our existence. So a voice for saying, you are accepted. You are accepted by that which is greater than you. The name of which you maybe do not know now. Do not ask for that name now. Perhaps you'll find it later. Do not do anything now. Perhaps you'll do much later. Do not seek for anything. Do not perform anything. Do not intend anything. Simply accept the fact that you are accepted. And that's the claim. Acceptance of God claiming us. 
It's in that brilliance and that light. That gentle voice says, I love you. You're my daughter. You're my son. And with you I am well pleased. And we hear that same voice that Jesus heard upon his baptism as the Holy Spirit came down and symbolized that life in the Spirit in that claim that you're my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And that's his identity, son of God. It's very, very important we listen to that voice this morning and we make that claim that we say that we are beloved and believe it. And hear that voice that says, I love you, Jonathan, Nancy, Carol, Emily, Michelle, Dan, Lauren, Tim, Ben, Mike. You see in Romans 8, 14 through 17 says this, and you can see it up there. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters. And you did not receive the slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons where we cry, Abba, Father. And that spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. When we make this claim, Paul says, God's spirit witnesses to that, that we are heirs and we receive the benefits of Christ's victory over sin and death. And this is not a hostile takeover. This adoption is incredible by God. And you'll experience life and you'll still have all of who you are, but your identity changes. And it's created, created through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's present indwelling. Several years ago, there was a couple in my parish who wanted to adopt a child, any child, and they poured enormous resources to become new parents of a newborn baby. And they were approved. And they waited for that phone call when a newborn was given away to adoption by her mother or his mother. Finally, in the middle of the night, the phone rang, and my phone rang. And they said, Jonathan, there's, it's happening, it's happening, because we prayed and prayed and prayed. And they drove to Dayton. And the adoption agent met him at the door of that hospital and told him what was going on. There was a baby that was just born. The mother did not want the baby. Gave it away for adoption. And the agent did say this. The state of that mother was that she struggled with drug addiction. And that the baby was addicted as well. From that, from the same drug. The couple didn't ask any questions. They wanted that baby boy. And the love and care of that couple healed that boy. And I was honored and privileged to baptize that boy. And through the love of that parents, as I seen and connect with them on Facebook and text, that that boy is thriving in the values of Christ. He's a middle schooler now and he loves Jesus. He has a fruit of that Holy Spirit. And when we claim that, it's just like that. New creation, loving ministry of the one who adopts us and gives us life. And like I said, we begin to be recreated and healed and reborn, victorious, living life from the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And our parental God continues to insert those values of his spirit in us and we inherit that righteousness and fullness of Christ and God. We have to remember there will be struggle on this side of heaven. And Paul identifies that struggle as we live in this world and so love some of the things that are in this world. There's going to be that struggle. 
Life in the Spirit or life in the flesh? Either we are governed by the Spirit of life or we're governed by that flesh. When sin and death rule, there's decay. But life comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When I was in seminary, I remember a sermon given by the president of Asbury Theological Seminary at that time, Maxie Dunham. He gave an incredible metaphor about this sin and death reigning in someone's life versus the spirit of life reigning and creating that sensitivity to sin through the Holy Spirit of God. He compared it to a razor-sharp star in the heart and mind and soul. And this is not verbatim, but Maxie said it in his Maxie voice, Southern twang. God places in the consciousness of our, our heart a sharp star when we're alive in Christ. And he continued that, I'm not going to continue to talk like that anymore, but we're sensitive to sin. And he said as joyful obedience comes, if that star turns, it convicts and it keeps us from sinning. As we have that strict sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's leading. He said, however, if they allow that sharpness to go away and continue, he said it becomes duller and duller until it's just a spinning disc and corruption Decay, no more sensitivity and numbness, and sin and death begin to reign. We're adopted by God. The good Lord will keep us, give us strength in this struggle. And we're taken into a different reality, and we begin to be restored. I was in fifth grade. My mom and dad bought a home out in the country, Rising Sun, Indiana, out upon a ridge. And I remember seeing that home for the very first time, and it looked like an old barn. And I'm going, we're living that? Are you serious? It was a dump. However, mom and dad, they bought it for nickels, you know, and the land too, great deal. But they began to work and work and work all summer. We didn't move in yet, but they began to do the inside and restore and create incredible bedrooms and do all kinds of things because my dad had recently been healed of alcoholism and he was they were pouring in life to that home and people as they drove by they they started to see not only inward change but they saw the outward change of that home and eventually the place began to thrive we put fences on the acreage horses and hogs and rabbits and chickens new barn addition You see, that's the work that God desires to restore you and you experience the benefits of that Holy Spirit. It's an amazing ministry. And you see the benefits of the Spirit that Paul points out. Check out these benefits in that battle as we experience life. Life and peace. And Romans 8, 6 says, The mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. And we get full support in our weaknesses as the adopted. We all desire abundant life. We all desire peace in the midst of the human journey and its strife. Don't you desire peace? Peace. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. My peace I leave with you. Peace be with you. Whether it is in current things or maybe a past things God desires to give us life and peace and listen to Romans 8 21 through 27 
He says that I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. For creation awaits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of children of God. And we know that whole creation has been groaning in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship and redemption for our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But that hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But we hope for already we do not have. And we wait patiently in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not even know how ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us through the wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts and, and knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the God's people according to the will of God. You see, this loving ministry of the Holy Spirit helps us even in our weaknesses, interceding for us, teaching us the will of God, even when we don't even know how to pray. The Spirit intercedes there, too. There are no words to describe the, the difficulties of living in this world. We have a God who searches our hearts and minds to fill our lives with strength and resurrection power. I don't know about you, but I've had those times where I, I couldn't even begin to explain some of the pain and sorrow and hurt from the weight of sin and sin upon me from another. And the only words maybe I could utter was, God, I need you now. I need your strength. And it's been, it's been so faithful that enveloping love and ministry arrives on the scene. Peace. Peace. Even we know that this world is a really bad bully, you know? We need and we can get God's liberation from that. And that's the promise of this chapter. And here's the amazing chapter that closes with the greatest news and Mark was sharing with me that it's like it's your favorite passage of scripture I love how Paul says it that nothing can separate us from the love of God and we proclaim that in the call of worship today I love how Eugene Peterson says do you think anyone's going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us there's no way not trouble not hard times not hatred not hunger not homelessness not bullying threats not backstabbing not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks and they pick us off one by one. But none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. And he says, I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of what? Of the way that Jesus our master has embraced us. It is because of Jesus Christ who became sin, who knew no sin. Body broken, blood shed, forsaken on the cross, resurrected, victorious. Why? So that we would never be forsaken. We'll always be loved. And nothing can separate us from that incredible love. 
I remember leading a men's retreat called the Walk to Emmaus, and I'll never forget ministering to a man at an altar who had tons of pain and hurt. And in that pain and hurt, he numbed it for many, many years with alcohol. And that addiction was immense. And I'll never forget his words as he gave his life to Christ after he heard that good news and he experienced that adoption. He said, I just want to be a baby in your arms, oh God. What an incredible, he got it. What an incredible, what an incredible mental picture that he knew he needed that nourishment and he was an infant in that faith at that time. And you know what? God continued to work in him. And recovery and healing happened. He understood that love that will never let him go. That powerful, eternal, victorious love working in his life. And it can work in our lives. He. And you know what, folks? We'll never be the same. Make this claim today. Ask God to fill you with his incredible Holy Spirit. Spirit, my friends, that gives life. Will you please join me? In prayer. We are yours. You love us. You call us, beloved. You've done everything. Make us your sons and daughters, O God, and come boldly in that love. Claim it today. God, may we be filled with life in the Spirit as we surrender and say yes to you and our belovedness. Those benefits are going to fill us from the ministry and power and strength and our groanings and new life in you. God, we thank you, we love you, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.